This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melbourne Law Studio. In God's country, the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, in our undisclosed location, of course. But uh, we're going to have a great time today talking with our great co-host on Wednesday, Ted Yoho, who is enjoying, of all places, the very bottom of the country in Key West. Boy, I'm so jealous. And um, if you haven't been there, well, you, um, you have to get past Al Morata first and what used to be the rum runner stop for yours truly. But having done that, you may make it all the way to the end. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. So anyway, here we are. We want to thank Melton Law Studios. Uh, 50 years of experience with Melton Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida. They won't back down and crime prevention uh, protects us. Uh, check them out at cpss.net and check out our mug shots. 35, 40,000 people a month do that to make sure your neighbor's not there. So uh, it is a very un- unbelievably popular thing that people look at. We got a great show today. Uh, we always do when we have people on who really know what they're talking about. And I don't think anybody is more qualified than Ted to talk about D.C. since he spent eight years there and unbelievably terminated himself. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's uh, for those of you who believe in term limits. Maybe you've got an advocate here. But those of you who miss him, why so be it. He's uh, gone fishing, I guess, is what the sign is outside the office door in D.C. right now. So, Ted, welcome to the show. It's good to see you always. And through the miracles of Zoom, I'm in the Piney Woods, and you're in the tail end of the Gulf Stream down there. So we'll get her done. (laughs) Our kids call it the fabulous Florida Keys. And I got to give a shout out, not not just to you, but to Jeffrey Meldon for the work he does and the advocacy he does around the United States. He does an awesome job with a great supporter of ours. And also crime prevention. Uh, they're the firm that we had to protect our congressional office uh, for the eight years we were in uh, Congress. In, really? In, yeah. That's great. They're really good people. They're really supporters. Uh, just good people, too. Yeah, good people. So uh, I enjoy I'm sure they'll enjoy that shout out as well. So there's so many things that have happened. Of course, um, here in uh, we were talking before we went on the show here yesterday, we uh, had Kat Kamik uh, who took over. Your office space, I guess, is that's your office and has a lot of your staff still. And that's, uh, that, I feel good about that because we had a great team of people. And uh, for, for them to transition right into Congresswoman Kamek's office, is it speaks loudly of the caliber of the people to continue that continuity that they gave to her office. Yeah, the team, as she referred to them yesterday. Yeah. And, of course, there was a presentation about uh, some of the things that were hot button items and some of the things that continue to be um, experiences that you had as well. But the one that was the hot button item and you paid actually before we went on the air, I thought this was very interesting. You paid Pelosi, whom you and I both are at the opposite ends of the continuum uh, with politically on having done something. And apparently Biden, for whatever reason, couldn't bring himself to do. You want to talk about that trip to Taiwan for a moment, Ted, because it is something that has got the world on alert uh, for the saber rattling that is going on with China. And we have uh, no doubt of what you and I have talked about this. I've talked about it with other foreign affairs people. China wants to get out to the sea. They want to build their presence. They really are irritated by not having access to the water they'd like to have. They've been building islands out there. They've been building their naval fleet. Uh, And you've been involved with that because you were on the committees that dealt with the Asian needs. So I'm going to sit on the sideline and let you tell some stories about that, Ted. Sure, I appreciate it. Um, people just need to be aware that China's, China is our biggest threat. And there's two good books, and I've talked to about those before. One is Michael Pillsbury's um, The 100-Year Marathon. The other one is The Bully of Asia, written by Stephen Mosier. 
um, who was at odds against his professors, this is an aside, uh, over certain issues, and they would not grant him his PhD after his thesis. It is a fantastic book. He and I have been in communication. China is our biggest threat, not just to us, but to the world and to Western-style democracies. Here is Taiwan, a country of a little over 23 million people. They're one of our top 20 trading partners, the highest producer of chips in the world and the highest quality of those chips. And they are a Western-style democracy. And they were never ruled by China. In fact, Shanghai Shek, who fought the communists in 49 and lost to Mao Zedong, came to the island of Formosa. It was an independent nation back in 1895. And that's where Shanghai Shek, who was the leader of all of China until the communists take over. So Taiwan has never been ruled by China, yet through diplomatic eras under the Carter, Nixon, Henry Kissinger um, um, proposals or their policies, isolated Taiwan by getting rid of our diplomatic uh, uh, relations with them and recognizing as a as an independent country. And they did this to appease China. Ever since then, China has said they're a wayward providence and they want to bring them back to the motherland. The problem is, if you look at the polls that uh, Taiwan does, it's like 63 to 70 some percent don't consider themselves Chinese. They are Taiwanese. And so they don't want to be uh, unified with China. And this is the problem because our policies since the uh, 70s and 80s came out and said that um, there is strategic ambiguity uh, between the relationships of the United States, Taiwan, and China. And this is where that policy of one country, two systems. And China touts this policy as the way it is. And it's funny because the meeting where this took place, uh, Taiwan wasn't at that meeting. And so China coined that term, one country, uh, uh, two, two policies, and um, uh, or one, one country, two systems. And so it's been this misnomer. And we have met with the Chinese ambassadors. We've met with their foreign uh, their defense ministers and several people in between, and they are so adamant. But it's funny because when you talk history, they don't know the true history of what Taiwan is. And that's what happens when you have an autocratic um, government like China who rewrites history. And so these people really think that Taiwan is a wayward province. What Nancy Pelosi did, and you and I talked about this, I don't, we don't align much on anything politically uh, or socially. But her to go over there, to have that moxie, that, you know, um, the, the brass to go over there and show clarity of our relationships with uh, Taiwan and the United States and that we will help defend Taiwan, um, whereas President Biden was just all over the board. You know, a couple um, a month ago, he said that we would defend Taiwan militarily. And now he's backing back, uh, taking his talk back. And he told uh, Pelosi, this is probably not a smart thing for you to do. Yet she went anyway. So I, 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 you got to congratulate her for doing that. I think it was the right move at the right time. You know, the other interesting thing about it is it seems to be also a counter move to what Russia has done with Ukraine, which we haven't right. taken a stand on. And in the worst case scenario, we'd stand back and let Russia go across Europe and China go across into um, the islands off its shore. Uh, even, I suppose, ultimately to include Japan, although Japan, I think, would hold their own quite well. Um, it is it's probably calculated in some story behind the story. It I'm is. Sure. And you've been dealing with these international intrigues for ever since I've known you there. In fact, I'll never forget waiting outside or coming outside your office. And there were all the fellows there from the Asian countries. And I asked you later, what were they doing there? And if I remember right, it was Korea wanting uh, um, assurance that North Korea, we would defend South Korea if North Korea came in. Was right. that, have, I got, have I got that right? No, you've got that right. And, you know, our, our relationship between the United States, South Korea, and Japan is one of the strongest in the world outside of NATO. Um, us three have kept the proverbial peace that we've seen in this world since World War II at bay. We've kept North Korea at bay. We've kept China at bay. We've kept Russia at bay. 
The problem is we've taken the, the, our eyes off the ball of what China is doing and let them have a pass. And this really got on steroids under Clinton when they allowed them into the World Trade Organization, the WTO. Yet today, China, with the second largest economy, still claims that the WTO, that the WTO developing nation status. Now, understand what that means. They get special preferential treatment from the World Bank, from the IMF, from all these trade organizations because they're saying they're a developing nation. Yet they have a space program. They're on the moon. They're building their own space station. They're building five aircraft carriers to compete with us. Their military is larger and better. I don't want to say better equipped, more equipped than ours. And they have the second largest economy in the world. And the majority of manufacturing is done in China. So they're still claiming that. And so there has to be a reset. And under the Obama administration, there were so many lies told from Xi Jinping to Obama. They have reclaimed the South China Sea, as you brought up, by militarizing those islands. I don't like to call them islands because it gives them kind of legitimacy. They destroyed over 4,500 acres of coral reef to build these land masses that they militarized. And I think we talked about this last week with uh, Ambassador Rooney. We have these ESG scores that the woke corporations are putting on the American people, the American taxpayers, and making things more expensive, driving non-woke businesses out. Yet these same corporations are investing in China where there is no ESG scores. It's, it's just all turned upside down. But China has to be made accountable. And there's two ways. You can do it kinetically. And that would be war, things blowing up, people dying. We don't want that. We've seen too much of that because in the aftermath, what happens is we become stronger trading partners. So let's get rid of the kinetic part and let's just focus on diplomacy and trade. And then the way to do that uh, is economic pressure on them. And we've written several papers called Manufacture the ABC Method, which is manufacture anywhere but China. We started this about six years ago. And it's interesting to see these corporations going to Vietnam, South America, anywhere but China. And if you take the economic pressure that we can put on them, along with the uh, domestic strife that's going on in China, Xi Jinping will probably be voted out of power. And if we don't put enough pressure now, he's going to be voted in for another five years and probably be a Mao Zedong type um, figurehead for China for the future. So it's very important that we claim that. Well, I think we just listened, if you're just tuning in, to uh, 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 a conversation you would find uh, in that detail just about nowhere else. Ted Yoho is with us. He was in Washington for eight years. He'll be co-hosting with me on Wednesday. So we'll be discussing these matters, which particularly are his expertise. And he's been there and walked to talk and walked to walk and talked to talk. So, um, but the whole Farming out, I guess, of cheap labor still remains a problem for us because, Ted, I'll never forget back in the days of Nixon when they were trying to bring, I think it was Nixon, trying to bring the the knuckle, get the oil companies to knuckle under. And they had found out that the the oil execs were bringing cash in a paper bag. (laughs) I I think you recall this to the government for a bribe, basically. And they hauled one of the CEOs before some sort of um, group there in Congress and ask him why he did that. And he said, well, I owe my allegiance to my shareholders first before I do the country. Right. And I, I'll, that is really still a problem because what you just uh, referred to a moment ago, capitalism is always going to find the cheapest labor and, and the cheapest labor it, it, you know, is obviously in China. And yet we take no human rights stance against that. And we screaming about it here. And it's ironic because it drives our economy down, but drives theirs up. I've got that crazy scenario close. You've got it absolutely right. In fact, it's interesting. We're moving again and going through some stuff. And I found some stuff I'd written about in 08 that that we put in our first campaign. And it was talking about our corporations are leaving this country. They're going to the most communist country in the world, Red China. And they're doing that over the United States, taking jobs away from here. And uh, Rick Scott and I, and I think Marco Rubio, we had a bill that would boycott the Beijing Olympics. 
you know, and we had story after story of the human rights abuses, what's going on with the ethnic Uyghurs uh, in the Xinjiang province. Also with the Tibetans, where they have brought in Han Chinese out of the military. Han is their uh, uh, dominant race in China, and they think it's the superior race in the world. They brought them in and infiltrated both in, in the Uyghur community and the Tibetan community, moved the husbands out, put them in their so-called re-education um, and the, the men have, um, you know, slept with the women. And so they're diluting the, 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 the ethnic races on purpose. And it's just, if you talked about that here, I mean, people would be outraged. Our corporations know this is going on, yet they'll put ESG, like we talked about, compliance here in the United States, and they ignore that. And the media is, in, is complicit with this. And so it leads to another question of why, and I don't think we have time to go into that um, in this model right now. I mean, that would take probably a series of things that I'd have, be happy to engage in. But uh, again, anytime you buy a product from China, that product is going to make the Communist Party stronger. The goal of the Communist Party is to be the number one hegemon or world power, both economically and militarily, and they're doing it. They're doing it. They're following through. You know, and Trump had this slogan, make America great again. And obviously yeah. uh, that didn't sit well uh, with the Democrats who seem to have lied. You know, this is one of the p- ironies. The Democrats claim to be the champion of the little man. And yet when you look at them, they're really in bed with the corpse, the corporations. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the, you know, one of the things I've learned about being around the political world, Ted, is that um, often, I won't say always, but often, the public narrative is exactly the opposite from the private practice. I mean, have you, am, I, am, I, am I losing it there or what? <laughs> no, I think you're right. But, you know, I'm reading a book right now. It's called In War and Peace. It's uh, by Gene Edward Smith about Eisenhower. And it was different back then, you know, because the corporations, they're American corporations. They believed in Americanism. And I just had on um, a James Cagney movie. We watched it with my granddaughter, Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> and the whole thing was about American pride and these corporations and all that. And we've gotten away from that. It was really great because when they brought on the, the, the songs that came that uh, George Cohen wrote, they're all the patriotic ones. She got up and she's marching and it was really neat to see. And we've got to get that pride back into, our, into us as Americans. And by doing that, we will demand that in our corporations. And that's how you help America get back to where it needs to be. Well, I thought we were on that track. You know, I've just got to yeah, refer to this. I want to refer to this. And I think you had read it, too, before we went on the air. I'm a Jason Riley fan. I yeah. make uh, no you know, apologies for that. I think he's a very bright fellow. He works for that um, same outfit that Heather McDonald works for, that research outfit. Um, but I just want to uh, cherry pick some of the sentences out of his article that's in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, under Trump... Uh, and Trump basically, uh, Riley takes the position that the reason he didn't get more votes is really over his personality, not what he actually did. And um, the upshot of what Trump got done was an acceleration of economic activity, higher labor force participation rates, and narrowing of racial inequality. Right. That is exactly the opposite from the narrative the Democrats are pushing. And in his first three years in office, median household incomes grew, inequality diminished, and the poverty rate among black people fell below 20% for the first time in post-World War II records. Huh? Right. Yeah, the poverty rate fell that, and I think unemployment fell below 6%. But under 6%. The, po- yeah. the poverty rate, black people went under 6% for the first time in records going back to 1972. Right. Well, so, how do we do what you know? One of the things why we're together on this show, and you and I have talked about it, is to correct the narrative. I mean, really. Uh, yeah. Huh? You know, you and I, we, we're doing what we can, but it's big media working with the Democratic Party. And again, you got to ask yourself, why are they doing this? What, what is their end game? And I, I have my opinions, and I'll hold them for right now. But the, what Trump was doing was what. The Democrats always say we're going to do for people. Here's Trump doing it. 
So they've got to change that narrative. And you brought up a, a perfect analogy that somebody shared with me about Trump, you know, and it's about great uh, watching uh, the figure skating in the Olympics. Those skaters get two scores. One score is for artistic ability and the other score is for technical. And I think we could, and the guy told me, he goes, I think we can all agree that Trump maybe get an eight, an, an eight or a 10 score technically, but we can all agree that he needs some work uh, on his artistic skills. And we all laughed about that. And then uh, the guy got serious and he goes, I didn't hire him for his artistic skills. I wanted things done and he was right. doing what I wanted and we put up with the other. And so they're going to attack his artistic side, which we didn't hire him for. Exactly. And if you, if you take a look at, um, what he was really trying to do, which I think is one of the things that really scared uh, the administrative state, which uh, you know is also known as the deep state, was to try to put Schedule F through. It took him a while to catch on to what he couldn't do. And because of the embedded staff level right. behavior, which Cat uh, Kamek talked about yesterday, those people are embedded. And they really are the ones shoving the paper underneath Biden's nose. They've prepared it. Biden hadn't. And we don't elect them. We can't find them, reach them. And he was after them. And I think that's one of the things that just really frightens him. He's the only guy that I know of. And the, 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 what I've been reading about is it took a, a complete outsider to come in and rattle that up. And sure. he was the first one, if you think about it. Now, Ted, he, he was not part of the political system. Uh, we all know that he was a he was a businessman. And oh, they were after him from day one. After him from day one because he was that outsider and he had that different perspective. And a, a, a great documentary. It's on uh, Amazon. If I can promote that, is a plot against. Yeah, yeah sure. <clears throat> um, if if you look at that, you and you see how they came after him the day he and Melania announced that Trump Tower is coming down the escalators. It, it makes you wonder why were they after him so hard in the very beginning? And you brought this out, you know, I mean, what, with what you just mentioned, um, it was because he was going to be the one that exposes the fraud and uh, corruption in the uh, deep state. And he did. Um, and he had, he wasn't ashamed to do it. He wasn't intimidated by them and uh, they have not let off of him. Um, so we need that kind of leadership in to flush out those bad players that aren't putting the country first. They're putting a political agenda first, and that doesn't serve the American people or the next generations of Americans well. We're talking with Ted Yoho right now. Ward Scott here with Ted Yoho, and we're discussing basically politics. Uh, somebody's got to do it. It's, uh, it's not your favorite conversation, I'm sure, uh, but somebody's got to do it. And for um, better or worser, as we say, better or he, and worse. I have found, he and I have found ourselves, um, he took his route to being involved with it. And I kind of stumbled into it because way back when um, I foolishly listened to one of my friends who said, oh, golly, Ward, you ought to run for the county commission. <laughs> and unfortunately, I mean, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I got intrigued, though, and got involved. And then uh, began to realize what was really the stories, the real stories, and nobody knew them. And uh, so that's what started the radio world and now the podcast world. Um, so we're, uh, I'm looking at the chat line. If you all want any questions, pass them along here to us. But um, we've got a big hoax, I think, right now that we need to talk about, Ted, and that is maybe what's known as the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really <laughs> – Come on now. Come on. I, I mean, I guess as a kid, you probably went to the fair also, right? And you heard those guys say, step right up and see yeah. the, the bearded lady or something. I mean, I always fell for that stuff. I mean, I couldn't wait to go inside the tent, you know? And um, it's not. it reminds me of going to the fair when I hear this stuff like the Inflation Reduction Act. And what it does is, according to Riley even, it's raising the taxes that Trump was cutting. <laughs> Exactly what it does. I mean, it's a misnomer, and they're great at spinning it. Just like they said, well, Trump did all these bad things. We're going to get rid of them. But what, those are the very things that they are fighting to, to provide, but they never do because their policies are to give people what you want so they can keep them keep you where you're at. And uh, the, the, the Spending and Reduction Act, 
uh, it's just it's such a misnomer, and it will do nothing of that. Uh, it'll drive up costs, you know, green energy, things like that. And incidentally, what you're seeing with the gas coming down is because the poll said that this was a losing thing. <laughs> so they had to, but you know, they despise it. I mean, they just, they hate this because they want to put fossil fuels out of business. And uh, it, it's it's funny that they pass a bill and it's got the, a wrong name. It's like the uh, Pelosi's bill, the um, <laughs> the, the American Promise Act, I think it is, where they change all the election laws from a federal standpoint and put it on the states, and it's it's unconstitutional. You can't do it, but it sounds good. Well, I think Riley sums it up best here. He says Democrats are putting progressivism ahead of pragmatism, and yeah. uh, that, I think that's, that sums it up. And uh, we were being we had a president who was pragmatic, who, who didn't score highly in the personality thing with a lot of people. His artistic uh, you know, ability got things done. I mean, as best he could, he right. was like, a, he was like a, uh, an alien in a foreign country or something. He, you know, he, I'm sure he didn't realize how un, unaccepted he was until he got there and found this thing entrenched. That was, uh, uh, as you say, <clears throat> ever since the moment he came down the escalator, that, that really, and probably even before that, uh, if it's if it's known, we will never know, will we? I guess I Ted, I get asked this question all the time. Will we ever bring Hillary Clinton and her crew to justice? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, and that's the way Washington works. You know, it's like, oh, let's not bring up the old. But yet the Democrats have been bringing up Trump. And I mean, they're trumping up charges on Trump. Uh, pardon the pun. But our side, they never do that. And I might have shared with you uh, we had John Koskin, and director of the IRS, and I know that's one of your stories you want to talk about. Um, we had enough information, Jim Jordan, through the investigations they did on oversight, that they could have impeached him. In fact, Jim brought up impeachment resolutions that I signed on to, and he submitted it to Paul Ryan. And what happened is Paul came to Jim and said, let's get rid of this impeachment resolution, and I'll let you do another, more hearings on them. So Jim came to me wanted me to agree to not push this resolution. I said, absolutely not. I said, what are you going to find in more hearings, Jim, than you already know? And what you already know, the guy should be impeached. Well, the way politics works, you know, it's better to have an investigation. So you show busy, you got sound clips and that, but nothing ever comes to that on the Republican side that I've seen. And I got no reason to believe that should Republicans get a hold of everything in the fall, that they'll go back and bring to justice all the things that uh, they can't get done now. I, I just I just can't believe it. And I, I don't think we should del delve into that. I mean, what's <laughs> happened, happened. Should people be held accountable? Absolutely. But with the things that we're facing in this country, the high, uh, you know, it's not unprecedented high inflation. It will be the devaluation of our dollar. And I think you and I talked about this. 80% of the dollars in circulation today 80% of the dollars in circulation today have been printed in the last two years. So that devalues your dollar. Uh, our, our debt is something that's going to cannibalize us. Open borders is making this country insecure, uh, risking our national security. And then our foreign policy is so messed up right now that you get a Putin invading Ukraine who wants to recreate Mother Russia and so all those other nations. And then you have she in China looking at what's happening in Russia and America's response, and he's weighing the balances to see, all right, do we go into Taiwan and reclaim that and reclaim the rest of the South China Sea that they've laid claim to? And if we don't have strong leadership here, it's it, it will happen, and that's what we need to focus on nationally. As a, We need a national agenda, not in the sense of the government controls everything, but in the sense that we create goals for this nation, where we're going to be 15, 20, 25 years from now, and we work together, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as Americans to accomplish those goals. And um, that's what the new Speaker of the House needs to do. And if they don't elect somebody to do that, it'll be business as usual. Well, that's a tall order, but a necessary order. And it all comes down to something that, I think you and I have talked about before, and I've certainly learned is generally missing, and that's leadership. There oh, absolutely. Of, 
I mean, there are a bunch of guys who get along to get along, even here on the local level. Yeah. But real leadership, guys who will stand up there and that you'll believe in and follow are really, very, very rare. Um, we're talking with Ted Yoho. We're at the bottom of the hour here. We're going to take our break. Uh, when we come back, I'll talk a little bit about the weather with you. Compliments of Lewis Oil, one of our sponsors. And we thank our sponsors. We thank our those of you who donate to us. You know who you are. I try to get a card back to you when I can to thank you. Many of your routine, regular donors, and that helps us a lot, uh, provide you the quality show and the production that we uh, hope to bring you. And um, we feel that what we're doing is uh, uh, really teaching. It's um, something that you all have to ultimately take and assimilate yourselves and, and uh, act accordingly. And we'll try to give you absolutely the best information we can give you. I've learned, Ted, over the years of doing this, that if people trust you and what you're saying and you don't have any ulterior motives and telling them, uh, they'll listen to come back again and again because people are hungry to find out what the real story is. And, of course, anything we say is open to debate or challenge. There's sure. no issues there. So I'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment with uh, our sponsors and, and the weather after that, and we'll continue this. Probably we'll go into the IRS when we get back because there's some terrible things uh, if it comes to pass that are in store for many, many people with this new uh, attempt. To got, somebody's got to pay for it, so they're going to go after the very backbone of the country, uh, does the work of the country, and tax them even more. Right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to the Word Scott Files. Professor Word Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. We're going to give you a little update on the weather. Uh, it has some relief, but I wouldn't really call it relief here where we are. Uh, it's going to be around 90 degrees, but still it's going to feel like 102. Uh, it's just the way it is working right now. Uh, one of the curious things, and I know my good co-host today knows this, is grass grows at night. Uh, not during the day, it grows at night. And so when those temperatures get too chilly at night, it stops growing. 
we probably won't reach at them for another month or two because one of the things I'm watching right now is are my cattle fat and happy and are their heads on the ground and all their heads are on the ground all day and all day long and they are eating that growing grass and uh, as long as it's pretty warm in the evening uh, not below 70 and all that kind of business and dipping down to the low 60s we'll have grass for them. Florida is excellent at growing grass. It was originally an ag agricultural state. Uh, it was fantastic for cattle uh, with the lush uh, water and the, the lush uh, greenery here. We could just turn them loose. And in the original days down around St. Cloud where a lot of my people were, there were open ranges and there are real roundups by men and horseback and driving them all the way up from Yeehaw Junction up in Kissimmee uh, to the uh, cattle yards there. Right. And uh, a lot of the big uh, ranchers there I knew real well. And uh, that's a whole nother story. But there are going to continue to be uh, some, uh, uh, unfortunately, some after effects of the drenching downpours in Kentucky. Uh, we also are going to see a continuation of some problems out at West with this hazardous heat. And it's probably going to continue for a while. Uh, we're not into tornadoes just yet. Um, but it's uh, coming when we have that collision of the air. I did look up the Farmer's Almanac again today. You know, as a kid, I used to always uh, watch the older guys uh, consult the Farmer's Almanac. And it was amazing how accurate it was. Uh, the Farmer's Almanac has just released its winter 2022 extended forecast report. And for the most part, the winter is going to be chilly, uh, but it's going to have some fluctuations in temperature and precipitation. So if you're a skier, which I was for some 20, 25 years, uh, you might be disappointed every once in a while when the temperature goes up and the snow melts. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, we should have enough hard pack out there for you can have a good time on the slopes. In January, the Great Lakes, Midwest, West and Ohio Valley will have some real bitter cold. Uh, Ted's on his way up into Wisconsin in that area. It's always been interesting to me that it just gets colder than crazy in minutes. Soda, for example, and hotter than the devil in the winter. Uh, yeah. 100 degree, over 100 degree fluctuation. So um, March is going to be a mixed bag of January, a stormy January and sunny February, according to the Almanac, and lots of fluctuation of precipitation and temperatures. So uh, there you are. I just always find it intriguing to, to now and then consult the farmers for the weather. Um, intuitively, they, they know it. Uh, I was saying yesterday, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've learned. I can smell the rain. I, I, you know, I know it's coming. I don't need the weatherman to tell me, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so welcome yeah. back to Ted's in Key West. I suppose they have some Arizona, weather change there. <clears throat> Key Colony Beach. But um, the weather <clears throat> doesn't change all that much in Key West, I don't imagine. Not but, at you know. all. I mean, it's pretty much consistent. You know, it doesn't get as hot down here as it does up in <clears throat> Florida. Because there's always a breeze, but the, the sun is more intense, obviously. And um, you got to be careful with that, wear your sunscreen. And I wear a hat all the time outside. Yeah. Well, Ted, you know, we have a, uh, something called the beast mode now. I'm sure you've heard that term. Uh, the beast mode is uh, a result of this deal between Manchin and uh, Chuck U. Schumer, as uh, <laughs> yeah. Rush Limbaugh used to say. But it is an $80 billion new funding for the tax man, um, more than six times the current annual IRS budget of $12.6 million. Wow. And this uh, is going to have earmarked in it, as I'm reading the article here, Ted, $45.6 billion for court right. enforcement, which is litigation, criminal investigation, investigative technology. Oh, my golly. And aimed at whom? The middle class. And I've learned a long time ago, Ted, that what holds a society together is the middle class. They're the ones they, that keep working. They pay the bills. They send their people to school. They're honorable, this, that, wing, another. Um, they, if you don't have a middle class, and I learned this from the South American kids I used to teach at the college, they would come up to this country to go to school. And I would say, why is everything up in the air in your country? He says, we've got no middle class. We only got the haves and the half-nots. It was right for communism to come in and play sure. that void in the middle ground. You follow? Absolutely. And you're absolutely right on that. Um, you know, I read that same article, and you and I talked about it. That's um, $80 billion, like you said, in the six times the current annual IRS 
budget of 12.6. And we did that when we were in Congress. We brought that down because under the Obama administration, it's the same type of people that's pretty much the same people in the Biden administration. They weaponize these agencies from the Department of Labor. Uh, We can tell story after story on that, how they went after our farmers. Um, The IRS, that was one of the biggest things we did in office for our constituents is holding back the IRS. And in that same article, it says tax agencies to bring the hammer down on taxpayers with that $45.6 billion. So they're bringing it down on us, the taxpayers, yet they don't go after their own selves with the fraud, waste, and abuse, um, the PPP program due to COVID. There is an estimated $500 billion that went out fraudulently to companies and players in China and Russia. The food stamp programs under the USDA, uh, through the, their administrators we had in our office, has over 4 to $6 billion in fraud. So instead of holding themselves accountable, it's easier to go after the taxpayers. Definitely. And uh, they are the bedrock of the community. The homeowners, um, you know, the ones with the credit, um, the ones coming to your house to uh, fix this, fix that. And your teachers, I mean, for crying out loud. So um, that's, um, I don't know. I just can't, I still can't wrap my head around this vindictiveness um, and talking out of both sides of their mouth that seems to prevail in these backroom deals in Congress. I, I, I just, Ted, you, you've been there. I, I, it's always been distasteful to me. And I, I wonder if there was ever a different day that ever was done differently. I don't know. You know, uh, that was one of the things I think I walked away from D.C. the most disappointed because it's not really government by we the people. It's government by the backroom deals like you just brought out. And, uh, you know, I know you can go back and watch that movie Lincoln when uh, um, they abolished slavery and the lobbyists were going back and forth with people back and forth. I think that's part of human nature. People do that. But we should hold our nation to a higher standard because of the constitution and we people people should be responsible in their actions if they're responsible for the most part they're paying their taxes i'm a business owner back when i was in business my job was to pay the least amount of taxes according to the tax schedule and that's what we did you know we use those uh um, the, the tax code to the benefit to minimize our tax bill and for the IRS to go after people that are in business employing other people, uh, you're going to slow the economy down. You're going to prevent expansion of the economy with new entrepreneurs just because they don't want the hassle. Well, the answer, I suppose, is uh, more printed money handed out. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what's been concealing all this. Sure. And- <clears throat> it's had exactly the opposite effect. Uh, it's decreased the workforce rather than increased the workforce. There are signs help wanted all over the place. Everywhere. Um, everywhere. Signing bonuses. Uh, pardon me? They have signing bonuses if you'll go on and, and get hired. Uh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. the military, because they're, I think, 40 or 50% below their recruiting level, the numbers they're putting out there, I heard were... Twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars signing bonuses to join up to the military. Well, that's another subject for another day, supposedly. But I don't feel like the the um, military is prepared, if you if you will. Um, it, we got people, but then we've been invaded with political correctness, and right. I, I just you know I I, I I can't really talk about it because I don't have it. Um, I used to have some fellows in the military that. Kept me posted on it, but they were getting down in the dumps, too. Sure. Well, you brought it up. It, you said it earlier. We lack the leadership for this nation. And that's those are just things that are showing up because of a lack of leadership or poor leadership. Or leadership taking this country in a different uh, in a different direction. You had brought up something about politics. And I know you heard what I've heard. In fact, I used to say this as 
people say, well, this election's coming up. And I said, I don't bother myself with politics. I don't vote. (laughs) I voted. But a lot of times, you know, you're just voting for maybe one or two people. And um, what I realize is if you're not involved in the process, you're going to be ruled by somebody else's politics or you can get involved and, you know, make it your politics. And that's what one of the impetuses I did to run. Well, it's um, it's a dilemma. Never seems to get corrected too much, uh, in spite of the um, transparency, if you call it that. You know, you would think we have more transparency than ever, but it's right. only transparency if it sing, it sings the same tune, right? I mean, that's what we've run into. Uh, the media has been able to present a storyline that has gone unchallenged. I mean, basically. Um, We have a comment here from from one of our folks. Uh, Can you imagine adding 88,000 agents? Uh, That's 10,000 more than they presently employ. That's resonating that theme with the people watching right now. Uh, Of course, uh, uh, we know the the difficulty of the average business person being able to confront an audit. Uh, The big, rich corporations can do it and get away with it. Uh, but the little guy, my golly, he's already living on, uh, you know, how gas fumes. You know, there's a story that maybe you can run a little longer when the gas tank is empty if there's some fumes in there, but not much longer, you know? Yeah, especially with the high prices of fuel we had. I mean, you needed to keep those fumes. Can we talk a little bit about the farmer? Because I know you know a lot about the rural life. Uh, the farmer as being squeezed, as you know, Ted all over the place. We're being squeezed by fertilizer. We're being stigmatized by even the uh, flagellants of cattle, if you can believe it, uh, yeah. insulting insulting the purity of uh, <laughs> the air and affecting climate change. I don't. I just. I just. Uh, I have to shake my head. You know. Uh, no, I agree with you. <laughs> I have to shake my head. So how? What is that? Is our farm life, for lack of a better term? Healthy or unhealthy or no? It's 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 a sector or industry under assault, and it's a dying industry in the sense of the traditional family farm. And uh, this is something I'm very passionate about. As you know, I, I work veterinary medicine as a um, large animal veterinarian, which means I worked with horses, cattle, and you know livestock for the most part, and we work with some dogs and cats too. Uh, but majority of my career was with cattle and horses and, you know, hogs and things like that. And to see what's happening in the rural communities, what I'm seeing, and we see this nationwide, is our farming population is the high, as far as age, it's the highest age it's ever been. It's about 57, 59 years of age. And so they're an older generation that's farming today which what we're seeing is the family farm is not being passed on to the next generation. The, the land is, but the operation isn't because it's so tough to stay in the business. And it's due to regulations. It's due to, you know, our trade deals, the USMCA trade deal that Trump did under, uh, under his administration was terrible for the Southeastern farmers. It was good for the Midwest and California farmers, but for us in Florida, and Florida raises over 300 specialty crops. It is driving our citrus, our strawberries, blueberries, all of our seasonal crops out of business, and they're falling to Mexico, and Mexico has increased, and it was a disadvantage that we could have corrected, and we failed to do it. So those kind of policies really hurt our farmers. And then as you brought up the price of diesel, and I'm sure you've talked to farmers like I have, I've got one farmer who's paying $5,000 more a week to water his crops when he was doing melons and um, uh, cantaloupes uh, than he did a year ago. And so how do you recoup that money? And uh, Carol and I bought a couple of watermelons. They're $6 a watermelon. I'm like, heck, that's what I paid 10 years ago. These people aren't going to be in business. <laughs> then you throw in the labor issue where you can't get labor here on time and the price of labor went up. Um, these all things are going, they're an insult on the farmer. And if we get to a point in America where we're importing the majority of our feed or food for ourselves, uh, you're going to see prices go way up and then you're going to see us put at a national risk. And, uh, 
I think I shared this with you before. My my first week in Congress, they were talking about the farm bill. And one of the Republicans said, why do we even need a farm bill? Why don't we just import our food? And I'm thinking, really? Yeah. Don't you remember the 1974, 76 oil embargo? Yes. You're hostage to oil. And I don't want I don't think the American people want or even understand what would happen if we couldn't get our food growing domestically and we're dependent on another country. Well, you know, I talked to my mother when she was around with us. Uh, incidentally, as you know, probably she lived to be 107 and a half. And yeah, you told me that she, she was born three months after the Titanic sank. And so uh, uh, she she went through the Depression. And I talked about that. In fact, Channel 20 did a story on her. And they were very in, interested in how she, you know, the depression affected her people, her generation. And she made a statement that, well, we didn't have money, but we had food. Right. And at that time, we were still still a good portion of us were agrarian and grew crops. And they knew how to grow, grow take gardens and all that business. And what concerns me about this scenario that we're just discussing is that in the next crisis of financial crisis, let's say, we won't have money and we won't have food because where do people get their food? They go to the store and buy their food. Uh, they don't even have pantries. They don't even have ways to store for the winter or any of that. You know, we've compl- I think, Ted, and this is a kind of a philosophical comment here, but this land, when Jefferson and these people got here, was an absolute agrarian masterpiece. Uh, It had two big bodies of water on either side of it with prevailing trade winds going across a big river tributary system down the middle from the lakes to the Gulf. Then the big prairies out in the middle uh, where all that uh, uh, wheat and uh, all that corn and all that could be grown man alive. What is it perfect for the family farm, you know, And what have we done? We've absolutely taken the strongest thing. You take a look geographically, and I know you have. There is no other continent on the earth that has the situation this one has for growing food and being self-sustainable. There isn't. And the, the amount of arable land that we have in America is second to none in the world. South America's got some regions that are, but by far we have the largest and we're the largest uh, productive nation. Uh, you know, we always feel, uh, hear the story that America feeds the world. American farmer feeds the world. Yet they're only about one percent of the population are farmers. And I argued that there should be two farm bills: one for your corporate farms, and one for the family farm. And I know a lot of those are incorporated. But if you could show a generational for your brand new farmer, and you want to, you know, go into the farming industry, we should have farm bills that will support those kind of entities. The corporate farm, the person that's in that corporation has never planted a seed, more than likely, and they're doing it for profit. And they should be handled at a different um, level. You know, they shouldn't get any subsidies. I'm not, uh, I'm not big on subsidies for anybody, um, but you just can't pull the rug out from under them. I mean, they need to be weaned off, and I think over time that could happen under the right thing that we're lacking is leadership. Um, but if we don't support the family farmers and the traditional family farmer and the Democrats are going after, you know, the IRS, the the inheritance tax, and this would unduly affect people that want to pass off their farm to the next generation, it's going to make it that much worse. And uh, it's a scary situation if we have to start importing, shoot, 25 to 30, 40 percent of our food because the cost of food will go up. And then it puts this nation at risk. You know, one thing we might conclude with, which just came in as a note, remind me, we're talking about China. Um, And we have not um, had our eye on this as a country, but all the things that we're fighting here in the woke uh, movement, if you will. Meanwhile, China and Russia, they're all over Africa and South America. Oh, yeah. China is financing a lot of what's going on in those, those places. Can we talk about that for a minute? I mean, it's not even being covered in the, in the press. It would be harder to cover that right now, but that's something that needs to be talked about. China has what they call the Belt Road Initiative that they're 
it, we call it debt, debt trap diplomacy. Sri Lanka is a poster child of that. Uh, Sri Lanka got a loan from China uh, at their port, Colombo, uh, which is in the capital. And they had high interest rates, bad, bad uh, fine print in there. And what happened is Sri Lanka could not pay the loan back. So China took over the port. And this is historically what they do. This is a modus operandi. They take over the port. It's a deep water port. So now there's military vessels because now they have the lease on it for 99 years. But it's not just that. It gets better. They have a lease on the 15,000 acres around that area that is now in the Chinese hands. And they're doing this all over the world. They're in Central America. They just signed a Belt Road Initiative with Cuba about a year ago. I think it was for around three to $400 million. And they will have a deep port in Cuba. Chinese Navy vessels run 90 miles off of Florida. They're in um, the Dominican Republic. They're in Jamaica. They're in the Bahamas. And they're doing it in Haiti. And we sit there and we worry about, I don't want to say they're insignificant issues or not important issues, but the things that we worry about on the social level, we should really put national security first because that's the number one task of our government. You know, I like an idea that you mentioned a little bit ago that will never happen. We need a leader who will lay out an agenda and publicly teach it to the people and say, here's what our priorities are. Here's how we arrived at them. You can examine our process by which we arrived at them. But here's where we're going to put our energy first. And our commitment is to this country and your quality of life. I, I have been yearning for that forever. Um, I'll close maybe with a funny story I maybe share with you. I haven't shared with you, but I've shared it with you're my listeners. with stories. Huh? <laughs> I say you're good with stories. Well, I, I'm, I suppose you know who River Phoenix is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, one time he was my tenant. And um, he rented a place from me here, and I got to know him pretty well. I'm shortening that part of the story up as a story to that. And um, he would always like to meet me in person and pay in cash and talk because I was a professor and he'd never been to formal education. And so one day he and I were talking in the sidewalk cafe downtown, and uh, much the same way you and I are talking, and that I was telling him stories about the government and this and that. And he said something to me that as, to this day has always blown me away because he was absolutely serious. He looked at me and he said, why aren't you president? <laughs> and I said, River, it doesn't work that way, man. <laughs> it does. The lie you have to tell along the way to get there, stop yeah. most people. <laughs> yep. well, that's, I'll that's never good. forget that. Huh? That's a good one. Oh, I'll never forget why. And he was dead serious about it. Why <laughs> aren't you present? I said, River, I, tell, I, I don't have an answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's what we look for. And, you know, we were talking a moment ago. Maybe we can close on this. You were a businessman who ran for a government position and, and won. All the odds were against you. The Trump was a business guy, ran for the government. All the odds were against him. There were very few business people in government that I can count here in the local scene, for example. Uh, right. We have mostly academics and people who are ideologues and um, their notions of what work economically and are so far fetched. You wonder what's the reality check here? Does anybody call them aside and say, wait a minute, because you read that in a book, it's not working over here on Southwest Maine or something. <laughs> It never happens. <laughs> Been talking to Ted Yoho is enjoying uh, uh, the Keys. I'm kind of jealous of that. Uh, but who wouldn't be, right? And he's down there for a couple of weeks. But uh, we'll be connecting again next Wednesday by Zoom like this because Ted says right. he'll still be there. And we'll be putting this out on wardscottfiles.com as well as I think my production guy says we're on 37 different. Or, yeah, he's shaking his head. We're on 37 different outlets. And actually – uh, Ted and I won't talk about now about it, but we're working on a relationship with yet another outlet, uh, which um, we think would help the outlet and help us and help you. Yeah, excited so about can, that. It'll be a good huh? thing. I, I think it'll be a good thing. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I am too. So we're having a good time working together. And Ted, it's great um, to have you. It's, um, you know, we'll have, we have so much material uh, to talk about. And of course, we'll talk with each other before we get together again. 
and uh, things will happen. The the, uh, the world keeps turning and events keep occurring. So sure thanks so much for checking in. Have a great day today. Uh, we're going to bid you goodbye. Thanks, production, for helping everything go so smoothly. Uh, we can't do a lot this, this uh, generation of guys. And so it's all a teamwork here. So I'm going to say, what all command center out.